This morning we return to giving our attention to the wisdom of God as it is given to us in Proverbs. Then you can open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 10. Uh, this is wisdom that we all need. This is wisdom that our world is searching for. This is wisdom that we see glimpses of in what takes place around us. It's wisdom that we need impressed upon us. Now there was a season for me as a kid where I was fascinated by Silly Putty. I mean, what kid wasn't at one time fascinated by Silly Putty? Uh, this is the Silly Putty that comes in the colored plastic egg, uh, the egg-shaped case. And you could, you could stretch it and you could snap it, you could ball it up and bounce it. My favorite thing to do with Silly Putty was to press it flat like a pancake over the newspaper. And as a kid, we got the newspaper every day. And so I'd normally like a comic strip or whatever, you'd press it, press it down flat. And at that time, the way the newspaper was printed, you would pick up that Silly Putty and on the Silly Putty, impressed upon it, was whatever you pushed down on it. So it would be whatever, uh, Calvin and Hobbes. Pull them up and there they are on the Silly Putty. I found this, it, it, Silly Putty, it's one of the most bizarre and pointless things, uh, but it was endlessly fascinating to me as a kid. Because that blank Silly Putty, over time, I like, it was kind of flesh-colored when you first got it. And as I pressed it on the newspaper, it kind of became like this just gross gray. But those words became a part of it, right? They were impressed upon it, they became a part of it. And in a certain way, this is why we are here. We want God to make His impression upon us. We want His Word to leave their mark on us in a permanent way. This is why we gather to listen to God speak through His Word. We listen in order to be transformed, in order to be changed. We gathered to be shaped and to be molded into a people who live a certain way, a people who look a certain way, a people who are a certain way. The teaching of the Bible, God himself recognizes this, that, that who we are shapes how we live. It shapes what we do. So I, our identity determines our, our destiny. And this is the point that our text wants to stress with us this morning. Who we are shapes where we go. But we know certain things about our future, about where we're headed, about what to expect. Last week, Chris served us so well as he directed our attention to God's Word in James. And we considered how to respond in the face of various trials. Chris asked, what do we do in perplexing situations? What do we do at those times in life when we ask why is this happening to me? And he, he pointed out that, that trials are a very part of the human condition. You either are facing a trial right now, or you soon will be facing a trial. This is the condition. Coming trials and our desire for security in the face of trials, in the face of the storm, that Proverbs has in mind as it addresses us. The world of Proverbs is not a fantasy land. It speaks wisdom into a world of sin, of fear, of sickness, of disappointments, of broken relationships, of flat tires and traffic jams and burnt meals. And as we make our way through our text today, we want to be shaped into people whose identity is shaped by this word, because this in turn will shape how we respond to trials, how we live in this world. And in our text today, we're going to come across many sayings, all of them containing wisdom, all of them from God, and they are meant to speak to us in order to shape us. 
And one, one thing we do from time to time in my family is, uh, and normally we do this around the beginning of the school year, so we might be doing this in September, just as a little preview to my children, is read through Proverbs as a family. And we'll read a, a chapter a day, and we'll read that chapter. And after we read that chapter, my kids have one task. And that is tell me either what stuck out to them, what struck them, or ask a question about something you didn't understand. And so they will either mention something that stuck out to them and then they have to explain it or they'll ask a question about what they didn't understand. And we're going to come across various sayings as we go through Proverbs. And there's no way that we can take into account all of them or comprehend all of them. None of us ever will. But we are here to have God's word impressed upon us. And so your task this morning, the task that I'm giving you is to pay attention to the one or two things that God wants to impress upon you as an individual and upon us as a congregation, as a people today. Now we're gonna make our way through our text in four broad sections. And the first section I've titled Identity and Expectations. Identity and Expectations. Now Proverbs recognizes that we all live in a way that in some sense looks forward. We either look forward with hope and joy, at times we do that, at other times we look forward with dread and fear. So we look forward to the meals that we're going to enjoy, the people that we will enjoy spending time with, the things that we're going to do, the places that we're going to go, the things that we're going to accomplish. God has wired us to look forward. It's a part of us. It's not the only part of us, but it's a part of us. And our expectations, our looking forward and our plans, they're often shaped by what we love. By, our, by what we desire, by what we enjoy and want. Our desires and our pleasures are what Solomon begins with in verse 23. Chapter 10, verse 23. And if, you, if you're taking notes and you want to know the whole passage that we're looking at, we're going to go from 10, verse 23, to chapter 11, verse 31. But right now I'm just reading verse 23, chapter 10. This is the word of God. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. The fool finds pleasure and joy in doing wrong. It's just fun. So he looks ahead at the days to come and his expectation is for doing wrong. But what is the pleasure of the man of understanding? The proverb tells us it's wisdom. Wisdom is his delight. He thinks about the future, he looks ahead and his desire is for what? For wisdom to walk in wisdom, to live in the light of wisdom. Wisdom is his pleasure. Now the difference between these two people is their identity. One is a fool, so doing wrong is like a joke to him. The other is a man of understanding, so wisdom is his pleasure. And that identity shapes their expectations for the future. It shapes what they desire. So we can sit here and we can make our plans for the future. We can make our plans for tomorrow. Righteous or wicked, for next year, for next week, for next year, we can, we can look ahead. And there's wisdom in this. Plans are good. Hopefully you're planning and desiring wisdom. Not wrong. But as you well know, we are not in control of what is to come. So we can make plans, but we don't know what tomorrow will bring. So in verse 24, we read this. What the wicked dreads will come upon him but the desire of the righteous will be granted. Verse 25, when the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. 
Now notice that the, this tempest, this storm, it comes upon everyone. It comes upon both the wicked and the righteous. There's no escaping the storm. I told you, Proverbs isn't fantasy land. There are storms, and they're coming. And so Proverbs teaches us that as the wicked looks ahead, what he fears will eventually come upon him. What does the wicked fear? Maybe he fears that his health will go. Or maybe that he fears that he'll, his pleasure will run out. You'll have to find something else. Maybe he fears that he will one day die. Maybe he fears that others will, will surpass him in accomplishments. All kinds of things the wicked might fear. And all of these things will come to pass. These things will wipe him out. But the proverb says the desire of the righteous will be granted. What is it that the righteous desires? Well, to cut to the quick, it's God. Storms will come. Troubles will come. They will wipe out the wicked. But the righteous will be established forever. What he desires will be granted. This is the entire theme of Psalm 37. David says it this way. He says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. And in verse 3, he says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The righteous desires God. Verse 23 of Psalm 37 says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way, though he fall. He shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds him. What a, what a wonderful truth we see here in the fact that the righteous is established forever. Though the storm comes, just like we heard earlier from Matthew 7, the one who listens to God's word is like the one who built his house upon a rock. The Lord upholds him. Who doesn't want to get in on all that? Right? Peace in times of trial being given what your heart desires, strength in the midst of trouble, security in the face of a storm, that's all good stuff. For those who place their hope in the Lord, this is their future. This is their expectation. For those who are wise and righteous, this is what you have to look forward to. And Proverbs wants us to know that the way of the wicked, the path of the fool, is a disaster. And so he continues. I'm going to read from verse 26 to verse 32. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, irritating things, so is the sluggard to those who send him. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Verse 29, the way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. 31. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked, what is perverse. In these verses, we we come across a series of, of contrasts between the wicked and the righteous. What's in store for the wicked? His life will be short. His expectations will fail. The way of the Lord will destroy him. He will have no home. His tongue will be cut off. What he knows, what he says is perverse. It's not a pretty picture. But for the righteous, 
Instead of being cut short, his life is prolonged because he fears God. Instead of no hope, his expectations will bring joy. Instead of destruction, the way of the Lord is his safety. Instead of no home, he will never be removed. Instead of not being able to speak, his mouth will pour forth wisdom. Instead of knowing what is perverse, he knows what is right and good and life-giving. These verses all direct our attention to look ahead at what's to come for the righteous, for the wicked. What happens as we navigate these two paths? The path of folly and wickedness or the path of wisdom and righteousness? And Proverbs again and again and again, and we're going to hear it again and again, makes abundantly clear that the path of folly is perilous. It is dangerous. It is devastating. It is death. But the path of wisdom is secure. It is safe. It brings joy. It is life. And this is what Proverbs wants to impress upon us. Wants us to be shaped by. Fear the Lord. Walk in His ways. Enjoy His goodness. And it will be good for you. But we are a people that the Bible talks about as, as sheep. We wander. We can be aimless. We are, we are easily led astray. And we live in a world that tells other stories. A, whole, a world that impresses other things upon us. A world that holds out other, other ways, other paths, and says, you know, if you really want to be happy, go this way. If you really want to be secure, then you need this. And it's to these other expectations and hopes, these other paths to security, that the, the wisdom of Solomon turns. And so our first section was identity and expectations. Our second section is identity and wealth. We know that trials will come. The tempest will rage. So we may think, as the world around us thinks, what we need is money. What we need is wealth. Do good and whatever you do, make money. Pursue riches. If this is how we think, then it can be all too easy to give ourselves over to making money at all costs, to pursuing wealth, whatever it takes, by any means necessary. And look around. This is the world that we live in. This is why many crimes exist. It's why gambling exists. It's why people spend their energy and their time and their lives on just making another dollar. Our security is found in our riches. But Proverbs speaks right to all of these lies, speaks truth to all of these lies. We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 8. Chapter 11. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Verse 5, the righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. Verse 8, the righteous is delivered from trouble, and the wicked walks into it instead. And we live in a world that, that can present to us the idea that, that money is the answer to our problems. Uh, riches will deliver us in times of trouble. 
man, if, only, if I only had as much as they have, I wouldn't have all these problems. We face danger, we face threats, but our deliverance is not in accumulating wealth. It's not in a robust 401k. Proverbs again impresses this lesson upon us that our, our identity, who we are, shapes our destiny, where we're headed. And so for the wise, integrity guides, righteousness delivers. But for the wicked, he has no hope on the day of wrath. His riches cannot save him from the trials that he will face or from the judgment of God. His crooked ways will destroy him. The wicked will fall by their own wickedness. Again, who you are determines where you will end up. Identity determines destiny. And, and the Bible teaches this lesson in many ways at many points. You remember the story of Daniel. Daniel walked in the fear of the Lord. But there was this, this group of rulers as they served King Darius together that envied Daniel. And they thought Daniel was getting a little too high. They saw that he feared the Lord and they wanted to take him down. And I, this is story time now. And so I'm going to read from Daniel. And so these enemies of Daniel, they got a nasty plan. The rulers, they flattered the king. They said, you are an amazing king. You ought to make a law that forbids your subjects to worship any god but you. And if they worship another god, you should throw them in to the den of lions. The king must have thought himself pretty important because he thought this was a great idea. So he signed the document and it became the law of the land. But do you know what Daniel did? Did Daniel obey that law? No. He wanted to please God. And so he continued to pray. And when the jealous leaders saw Daniel praying to the Lord, just like they knew he would, they hurried to the palace to tattle to the king. And Darius was upset. He never meant for his friend to be fed to the lions. But he had signed the decree, and now he didn't dare change it. And as Daniel was cast in the den, the king cried out, May your God deliver you. May your God deliver you. The den was covered with a stone and sealed with the king's own ring. Darius returned to his home a sad man. He didn't sleep all night. As soon as it was morning, as soon as it was morning, the king got up and ran to the lion's dead. He yelled out in a panic, like your mom might if she saw you riding your bike in the middle of the road. Darius said, Oh, Daniel, has your God kept you safe from the lions? I bet the king was nervous about what he would hear next. Would it be the voice of Daniel or the roar of a well-fed lion? I'm okay, Daniel replied. My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. I am innocent before God and have done nothing to harm you, O king. To be innocent before God is to be righteous. And Daniel was delivered. The king was glad. He ordered Daniel to be set free and commanded the wicked men and their families to be cast into the den of lions. The wickedness of the wicked, it came upon them. Before they hit the ground, the sleeping lions woke up and did their worst. Then King, David, King Darius signed a new decree calling on all the people to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, the God who performs mighty signs and is mighty to save. Darius saw firsthand that the true God could do what the king of the Medes and the Persians couldn't do. This is the power of God to deliver the righteous. We don't just see it in Daniel. 
We see it right here in Proverbs. Pursue righteousness and God will deliver you. It might not be the deliverance you expected. Daniel probably wasn't thinking, oh yeah, it'd be great. I'll be throwing the lines, Dan. No big deal. I'm not worried about that. I mean, in a sense he was because he trusted the Lord, but he knew those lines could be his death. But the Lord delivered him. And for the wicked, their wickedness came upon them. It destroyed them. Now Proverbs makes the same point that we see made in this story. While the wickedness of the wicked will be their destruction, the righteous will be delivered from trouble. But the wisdom of Proverbs wants to show us more of the goodness that is found in being righteous. And we've already seen this some, but but we're going to see it more in this next section. Who you are doesn't just affect you. It affects those around you. And actually, in Daniel, it makes that same point as the wicked men and their families. They're cast into the lion's den. So section three is identity in others. Section two is identity and wealth. Section one, identity and expectations. Section three, identity and others. Now, the first area where we see who we are and how it affects others is in our speech. It's in the words that we say. Look with me at verse nine of chapter 11. With his mouth... The godless man would destroy his neighbor. But by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. It continues this theme of of our need for deliverance. But here we see that our words, what we say because of who we are, will shape how we speak about others and how we are perceived by others. Our words, they have the power to either bring goodness to those around us or to destroy those around us. Look at verses 10 and 11. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. These verses speak to how other people view the righteous or the wicked. For the righteous, the city will be exalted and rejoice in their success. For the wicked, the city will be destroyed and rejoice in their in their death. Look at verses 12 and 13. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Here, Proverbs calls us to discretion in our words. So speaking, wisdom in speaking, is not just about what we say, but often it's about what we choose not to say. In both these verses, the the wise person is the silent person. But the wicked does not hold back. They tear others down and belittle their neighbor. They slander others and share things that were communicated in confidence. They are disloyal. They are full of contempt for others. They despise those around them. But the righteous is self-controlled. They hold their tongue. They are loyal friends and they're reliable in what they say. But Proverbs doesn't only call us to silence. We're also called to speak. And verses 14 and 15 speak of how we are to be wise in what we say. Verse 14, where there is no guidance, the people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Whoever puts up security for a stranger stranger will surely suffer harm. But he who hates striking hands in pledge is secure. The wisdom is found in guidance, not in independence. It's not in going it alone or having all of the answers. Wisdom and security are found in counsel. 
The abundance of counselors, that phrase, is not an argument for democracy. Everything, every, every, everyone, give me your opinion. That's not what it's saying. Nor is it a stand-in for groupthink. Everyone agree with me. These counselors are those who are, are competent and willing to discuss and weigh ideas and plans and then provide guidance. There is safety in this place. Who we are will shape how we speak and will affect those around us and it will affect us. So be wise in what you say to and about others. Solomon doesn't want us to only consider our speech, but also our stewardship. And this is the second area that our identity affects, how it affects others. Who we are will not only shape what we say to others, but also how we treat others. And so in verse 15, it speaks both to what we say and what we steward. Putting up security for a stranger, those who do that will surely suffer harm, but he who hates striking hands and pledge is secure. We can lose our security by making deals that we can't follow through on. And when you consider the many loans that go bad, the credit card bills that pile up and go unpaid, the gambling debt that our society is drowning in, there is a far, this is a far bigger problem than we might care to think. But this warning to not make commitments you can't keep is not opposed to generosity. Wisdom is kindness to others. We're going to see that in our next, uh, or continuing in this section. I'm going to read all the way to verse 27, beginning in verse 16. A gracious woman gets honor, and violent men get riches. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. Those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. Be assured, an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, the expectation of the wicked in wrath. Verse 24, one gives freely, it grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Verse 27, whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Now these, these verses all make the same general point about the righteous and the wicked. Good comes to the righteous, to the kind, to the generous. Good comes not just to them, but to those around them. Now this is the biblical paradox of generosity. For the one who gives freely and brings blessing, the one who spends himself, he will grow richer. That's what Proverbs says. Blessing will be upon him. But to the wicked, while he may earn riches and wages as he looks out only for himself, no matter who stands in his way, all of this is fleeting and deceptive and will be punished. He keeps it for himself and finds that he doesn't have enough. Those around him hate him and evil comes to him. There are a lot of miserable rich people in this world. God has provided all of these good gifts 
But the wicked takes what is meant for good and makes it pointless and good for nothing. And who can forget the picture of verse 22? Zoom in on that, on that gold ring, shiny and bright and beautiful. It's worth a great deal, and it's just a delight to look at. But then zoom out. That ring is on the nose of a muddy, sloppy, fat pig. Just rolling around in slop. Do you know what a pig does with its snout? Do you know the places that that snout has been? It's disgusting. A gold ring in that snout, there's no point to it. It's, it's crazy that this wonderful gold ring is in the nose of this dirty pig. And the point is this. If we focus only on the small beauty of the ring, we can miss the far bigger and more obvious problems and issues that we might face. That shiny ring like a beautiful woman might catch our eye, but if that beauty is surrounded by muck and evil and selfishness and wickedness, it's a waste. A beautiful woman becomes a pig without discretion, without wisdom without good judgment, without self-control. The wisdom of Proverbs 11 concludes with our final section, which really brings us in many ways back to where we started, identity and the future. Section 4, identity and the future. Verse 28 says, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. If you make wealth your hope, riches your trust, then you will fall. But if you are righteous, then you will flourish with life and vitality. With verses 29 and 30, whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. If you are unkind to others, if you bring trouble to those around you if, you, if you stir the pot and sow discord, then you will have no inheritance, no future, and nothing you want. But if you give yourself for the good of others, if you protect those around you, capturing souls is the phrase that's used, it, it's speaking of saving others from death, then your fruit will be a tree of life. Yes, a tree of life. And the goodness of God is tasted here in the fruit of this tree. Now Proverbs 11 concludes with this really climactic proverb, summarizing connection between our identity and our destiny. Verse 31, If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner. Solomon's saying, I see the world and I know this to be true. The righteous will be repaid on earth. They will get what they have coming to them. And it's good. But if this is true, how much more will the wicked receive their just dues? Judgment. And we already considered the wicked will fall by their own wickedness. Their future is sure. Because of who they are, their future is sure. And our consideration of this entire text leads us to a final question that we must ask. Who are you? Or if you're asking yourself, who am I? And if we are honest with ourselves, it won't take very long to get to a place that's pretty discouraging. Because amidst our, our boasts and our victories, amidst our, our smiles and our social media posturing, 
We are all disappointments and failures. Our lives are marked by failed plans, by losses, by storms, by pains and suffering. And worst of all, our lives are marked by sin, by rejecting this wisdom, this righteousness, by rejecting God's ways and choosing to walk our own path, by thinking that we know better and living and, and believing that, that being selfish is a better path to the good life. You know, God says all these things, but I really just want to have this. And so I'm going to go down this path and do whatever it takes to get it. You see, every one of us in this room is numbered among the wicked. But that doesn't have to be the end of your story. The definition of who you are, how you answer that question, who am I, doesn't have to end with, I'm wicked. It starts there. But by God's astonishing, undeserved grace, that's not where it ends for so many of us in this room. And that's not because of us, but because of Jesus. Not because of our efforts, but because of His grace. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died. For the righteous? No, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, do you know what it says? We might become the righteousness of God. (laughs) Sinners. We might become the righteousness of God. This is our hope. This is the gospel. Paul writes in Romans 1, the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. What do you have to do to get in on this? Believe. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And that's what we gather together as a community to do, to live by faith. We don't live by our righteousness. Our hope isn't in us. It's in Jesus and the righteous life that he lived. And it's in being identified in Him, with Him. He is our life. For just as we all fall in Adam, or as Romans 5.19 says, as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So we all fall in Adam. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So we read in Proverbs 10, 23 through eleven thirty one all of these wonderful words of promise to the righteous, right? And all of these terrifying words to the wicked. Who are we? Where do we find ourselves? What do we do with this? All of this should drive us to Jesus. Because the promise of security, of delight, of the desires of our heart, of the fulfillment of our hopes... They all, all these promises, they find their yes in Jesus Christ and Him alone. He is our hope. And so we look to Him and we trust in Him. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, thank You for sending Your Son, Jesus, into this world. He was the only one who, who lived His days here in perfect righteousness, perfect obedience. And thank You that Your glory being put on display through him did not end 
with the life he lived on this earth. But he came as our mediator, as our redeemer, as our savior, as our deliverer. And through his death and his resurrection, we have life in him by turning him in faith. And so, Lord, would you give us grace to trust in the work that he's done and recognize that we have been saved by righteousness for righteousness. Help us to walk in your ways, looking ahead, not with fear or dread at what's to come, but looking ahead full of faith for your promises are yes and amen in him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.